This particular piece has been in our family for as long as I can remember. When I was a little girl, this lamp lived in my grandmother's home. We used to love playing with it. When it was lit, we would call it the brain lamp. The brain lamp? <laughs> the brain lamp, yes, yes. I understand why. Yes. Well, there was a glass called brain glass. Really? Yes, but this isn't it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually a turtleback tile iridescent glass. Okay. Now, I found a couple auction records... This was very difficult to find. It's extremely rare. And I would say today, in a retail market, you might find this piece at $30,000 to $40,000. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Kathy, thank you so much. I can't believe it. Wow. had it probably almost 20 years. Uh-huh. Really my wife long. brought it home one day. She bought it from a lady she knew in town. Uh-huh. We just used it as an umbrella stand. She didn't really like the color that much, so we just kind of stuck it away. Yeah, the color's not very likable. In fact, uh, right. do you mind if I scrape away it a bit? Go, go ahead and try it. Okay, because uh, what happens is this green, this really nasty green that's on it yields to this robin's egg blue, which is a color uh-huh. Van Briggle was very well known uh-huh. for. Furthermore, um, the bottom of this pot which has his double uh, A mark. Right. It also has Van Briggle. This is a monster. It's a very rare form, and certainly enough, and so I was like really tickled to see it. Believe it or not, it's a $10,000 pot. Really? So, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. That's <laughs> yeah. a lot more than we so, thought. That's and there's wonderful. so much Van Briggle, it's worth oh. very little to nothing. Uh-huh. It's it's one in one in 5,000 pieces is oh. worth that kind of money, so this is really cool. That's really great. Keep the wonderful. umbrellas out of it. Well, yes, we will. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder how many of you have seen the Antiques Roadshow. Raise your hand, would you? And I wonder as you raise your hand, I wonder if everybody at the 1115 service is raising their hand even now. One of the things you should know is that I am simultaneously teaching the 915 service and the 1115 service as well. And the reason for that is during the 1115 service, I'm actually in Bolingbrook. I'm uh, headed down there. We're having kind of a celebration for the merger of New Song Church and the Compass Church. And so it's a great joy for me to be a part of those festivities and grateful to all of you at the 1115 for allowing me to teach via video. So let's talk about the Antiques Roadshow. One of the things I love about the show is how these uh, treasures are discovered. You know, people are living with, with valuable treasures right under their noses, unaware of the value. And they go to these appraisal experts who point out to them what they are shocked to discover, and that is that they are the proud owners of something absolutely Precious. I wonder if the Antiques Roadshow rolled into Chicagoland, would you have anything in your home to bring in? I wonder if you've got an overlooked, undervalued, unrecognized treasure in your home. And if you're married, I would say, yes, you do. Your spouse. 
is an unbelievable treasure and undervalued in your eyes. You know, there are, there are some who would say, yeah, tell me about it. I went, to the, I went to the spouse store years ago, and I bought one, and I, I am suffering with buyer's remorse. <laughs> no one here I know. I'm just saying, theoretically, there would be those who go, oh boy, what did I get myself into? No, you know, I was, I was so mesmerized by the purchase. And I was so sure I was getting the deal of a lifetime. And now I'm like, whatever, till death do us part. Oh my goodness. Others would say, it's not buyer's remorse for me. But I would say that the shine has worn off just a little, if you know what I mean. They would say, there was a day when I was so taken and smitten and convinced that my spouse was perfect. Well, shared a couple decades with them now, and I know the fuller truth. You know, they are a sinner just like the rest of us. Now, others still would say, my spouse is a beautiful treasure who gets more glorious with every passing hour. Raise your hand if that's you. Yeah, everybody raise your hand. You know what? Even if you say that, I would argue you are undervaluing your spouse. I believe that's a chronic problem every one of us is guilty of. And I believe this passage that we're about to study will help us see that we're undervaluing them and how to take care of the problem. Now, as we turn to this passage, I want to also say that it has tremendous application for those of you who are not married. Uh, you know, in a group like this, and at the 11:15 as well, we, we are about half married, half not married. And I don't want you to think that this is a marriage talk only. Yes, I am going to be applying this principle to marriage. But this principle, as you'll see, it was not originally intended just for marriage. It's intended in every relationship. And so listen in. Grab hold of the principle. Pick somebody that you believe God is calling you, maybe family, maybe friend, somebody God's calling you to apply this to. And can I also say, you know, even as I look around the room, I, I spot those who I know have lost their spouse recently. And or been a while, and I know that sometimes just talking about marriage causes the wound to, to open a bit. I want you to know I've been praying for you and praying that as you feel the pain of the loss of your spouse, that pain would drive you deeper into the arms of Jesus. That you would say, Jesus, I need you. I need your love more than I have ever needed it before because my loss is so real. And for many I know, the great suffering of the loss of their loved one drives them into the arms of Christ and helps them connect with the love of God at a deeper level, and that's what I'm praying happens with you. Well, that said, I want to turn now to this passage, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Folks, this has been a passage that I have clung to much, and I'm seeking to apply it to my marriage with various degrees of success, and I continue to work at it. I did better this. <laughs> My wife says, you're a better husband when you preach on marriage. And I'm like, oh, I'm sure I am. Well, she'd prefer I do that more often. Ready? Here we go. Philippians 2, starting in the middle of verse 3. Value others 
like your spouse. Value them above yourself. Not only looking to your own, or not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this passage. It's awesome, and it's powerful when lived out. I'd like to study it by starting with at the end, if you'll allow me. I want to talk about having the mindset of Christ Jesus. One of the New Testament principles that we see is to have the mind of Christ. You may ask, what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? This is really cool. What it means is somehow by the help of God's spirit in you, you take on the mind. You think like God thinks. You experience the divine mind. I mean, this is amazing, but there is a way with God's help. You can begin to see things like God sees things. You can begin to feel things like God feels and treat people like the Lord does. That's what it means to enter into the mind of Christ. And nowhere is this spiritual experience needed more than in marriage. We say, Lord, I can't trust my mind as I approach my spouse. I need your mind as I approach my spouse. Uh, The mind, the human mind, will fail you. And it's particularly fickle in romance. Do you notice that? The, The human mind is just like all over the map when it comes to uh, romance, uh, you know, the, the, the very same traits that the mind celebrates before the wedding, the mind can't stand after the wedding. You notice that? The very things people will say that I was smitten about after the, the, the wedding, I am like, they irritate the life out of me. Maybe I should just tell you a few examples of this kind of stuff. Simply put, we are, the mind is overly generous in the courtship phase when analyzing the potential spouse. And that same mind is overly critical after the wedding. From overly generous to overly critical, just like that. I don't fully get it, but it happens. For example, uh, you know, before the, the, the wife will say, or the, the gal will say, he's such a hard worker. I just love that about him. And then after, he's a workaholic. I can't stand how he lives for his job. Or he'll say before the wedding, she has such strong convictions. I just love that. And afterwards, she is so stubborn and she is inflexible and she won't, you know, adjust anything. And she'll say, He has such good friendships. I just love how he values his friends. And then they're married. All he wants to do is hang around with his friends. I can't stand those guys, you know. She'll say, he's so frugal. (laughs) After marriage, he is a tightwad, and he won't release a nickel without me pulling it out of his hand, you know. He'll say, I just love how spontaneous she is. She's so unpredictable, you know. And after marriage, she's out of control. The woman is chaotic and crazy and undisciplined. And you know, He'll say, she's so outgoing. I just love what an extrovert she is. And then they're married. She is a chatterbox and will not stop talking. You know, it's driving me crazy, you know. She'll say, you know what I love about him? 
He just loves his mom. <laughs> and then they get married and she says, he loves his mom. <laughs> I've heard it said that that infatuation, that crazy love... What are you laughing at here? None of those apply to me, just so you know. I just... Uh... I've heard it said that infatuation, that crazy love before the wedding, that it is a form of temporary insanity that overtakes sound judgment just long enough to get a person married. And I, I think some can relate. So the human mind is just crazy. It's all over the place. You know, one day it's just overly generous. They're perfect in every way. And then the human mind flips and becomes so overly critical that the person can't do anything right anymore. And so our mind is unworthy of trust. We need the mind of Christ. We need to say, Lord, I don't want to see things through my eyes anymore. I want to see things through your eyes. I want your mind and heart and actions to characterize my interaction with my spouse. All right? So that brings us uh, to an important point, and that is, uh, what does the mind of Christ look like practically? And this verse is very helpful towards that end. And let's highlight this first phrase here. Value others above yourself. If you've got the mind of Christ, if increasingly you're able to see things as Jesus does, one of the things you'll do is value your spouse differently. We all value people, high or low. Like an appraiser, we look at folks, and this is not conscious or spoken, but it goes on inside of us, and we say, how much do they matter? How important are they? How precious are they? And, uh, you know, when it comes to those who have been married for a while, one of the sad realities is there's a trend that early on we viewed our spouse as so precious. But the more they drive us crazy, the more they irritate us, the more that we're dealing and seeing all the junk that's in their lives, they, they, they become less in our eyes. And Jesus says, take on the mind of Christ and value them more, about more than you value yourself. And that's what Jesus does. If we're going to make this an outline, and I think we should, we'll scoot this up and we'll say, see them like Jesus would. All right? We need to see our spouse as, as precious and as valuable as Jesus sees them. And, and I love the imagery of this vase that the guy used as an umbrella stand. I mean, here, they, 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 he's like, yeah, my wife bought it, and then after a while we realized it's ugly, and so we just used it to stick umbrellas in it. And then the appraiser came along, and the appraiser said, you're wrong. You thought it was ordinary. It is extraordinary. And Jesus is the appraiser when it comes to the value of our spouse. Jesus puts his arm around us lovingly and says, you're wrong. You thought they were ordinary. They are extraordinary, and I'd like to show you why. And so we can ask that question. Why, Jesus? Why do you say my spouse is so extraordinary? You know what Jesus would say? Remember what the guy did? He said, right there, Van Brickle or Brickle or whatever the guy's name was. <laughs> it's the one who made him. It's her. The 
creator adds value to your spouse. I'll just say it real clearly. Your spouse is a masterpiece made by the Almighty God. You say, yeah, but yeah, but it's got ugly pain all over my spouse. Yeah. <laughs> Look beyond the paint. Your spouse was created by God. Every single one of us are the masterpiece of the Almighty. And because he is our creator, there is intrinsic value in each of us. And God says, do you see that in your spouse? Do you realize that's who they are? Not only that, the the appraiser would say, yeah, look to who made it. But then one of the things you didn't see, we edited the video a bit to shorten it, but the appraiser pointed to the beauty of the vase, you know, to the great form and perfection by which Van Briggle created it and the intricate detail of the design. And all of a sudden, you know, the guy is like, yeah, yeah, I never noticed, but you're right, that's beautiful. Jesus will do the same thing with your spouse. He'll say, did you see this beauty in them? You know, we get in marriage to where we can't see the good anymore. All we see is the bad. And Jesus isn't like that. Jesus says, I see all that is beautiful. Not only were we made by God, the Bible says we were made in God's image. That means that there is the imago Dei. That's the Latin for image of God. There is the beauty of God himself on display in part in your spouse. Every single human being is a mixed bag having ugly, ugly sin and evil at times in them. And yet at the same time, there is the image of God shining through if you have eyes to see it. And if your spouse is a Christian, add to that, they've got the Holy Spirit sanctifying them, making them more like Jesus. The question is, can you see it? Some of us have just become so cynical and critical that we can't see it. And we need Jesus to help us. And we need to say, Lord, give me your eyes so that I can say, oh yeah, I forgot. She is wonderful how she does that and how he treats the kids in that way and how he says that or chooses that. And God can give you the capacity to see the beauty in them again. Jesus does. You may say, well, does Jesus not see that they're covered with gross green paint? And Jesus would say, oh, no, I I see the sin. Well, doesn't that make you not value them? And Jesus says, no. It doesn't matter how cracked or stained or painted they may be. The love of Jesus is what we call unconditional, grace-based. Grace is loving the undeserving. And so do you want the mind of Christ? If you really want the mind of Christ, when you see the sin... You don't say, see, that's what I'm talking about. No. You say, Lord, help me to look beyond. The faults are there, yes, but that doesn't take away from the fact that they are treasured in God's economy. Christ died for them to wash away the guilt of that sin. Help me to recognize the sin. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend I don't see it, but not let that stop me from treasuring them. From looking beyond, I loved that guy, he he scratched away the paint, remember that? And he said, do you see the robin's egg blue beyond, the beauty beyond? And some of us have come to where all we can see is what's wrong. And we need to say, Lord, give me your mind 
so that I can recognize how precious that, that my husband is a child of God, a prince in the kingdom, and that my wife is a princess of the king of kings. And uh, the mind of Christ will help us see them differently. Why, why do we want to see them differently? Well, what happened with this guy? I love this example. So the guy had his uh, vase by the front door, on the floor. I mean, it might as well have been an ashtray, you know? I mean, he just didn't treat it well because he viewed it lowly. And when the appraiser said, you've got a $10,000 precious piece of art, did that change the way he treated it? Yeah, in fact, the appraiser said, hey, you know, don't put umbrellas in it anymore. And he suddenly now was like, oh, and lifting it up off the ground and treating it differently because he saw it differently. And our verse actually goes along that line. It says, first, see it differently, see the value. But then it goes on to say, not looking, let's say it like that, not looking to your own interests, but each of you should be looking to the interests of others. Applied to a marriage, you should not be preoccupied with what makes you happy and what, with what you want to do and with your agenda. You should spend your energies and focus blessing your spouse, being interested or focused on what they care about, what would make them happy. One of the greatest sicknesses destroying marriage today is self-centeredness. We are all naturally self-preoccupied, and we desperately need the mind of Christ. Jesus did not come saying, hey, it's all about me, 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 me. Jesus said, I came to give my life away, to be a blessing to those I love. Christ and at the cross of Christ, it is the most selfless demonstration imaginable. And the mind of Christ is not thinking get. The mind of Christ is thinking give. The mind of Christ is not thinking I want to be blessed. The mind of Christ is saying how can I be a blessing? And so when it comes to you coming home, to being with your husband, to being with your wife in the evening, the mindset should not be, what do I want? The mindset should be, I want to think about what they want and how I can be a blessing. I sound really self-righteous when I talk about this, I know, but I'm terrible at this. I, I come home and I'm tired and I'm worn out and I'm like, all right, I got an evening. What do I want to do? I want to watch the Cubs. That's what I want to do. And I plop down. And... The truth is, doing the dishes would be a blessing for my wife. And walking away from the TV to do the dishes is a movement following the plan of God. But it's not easy for me and for you. May God give us the strength to rise to a higher way above our own self-centeredness and really enter into treat others more important. Uh, more important or more valuable than yourselves and focus on their interests and not your own. You know, the whole imagery of this message is entitled Trapeze Artists. Let's think about that for a minute. In some cases at a circus, trapeze uh, partners will be married couples. And let's imagine, you know, if the husband is swinging on the trapeze and his wife flies off, uh, you know, on that flying trapeze, 
He needs her to focus on her. If he said, I just love swings, you know, I just, wee, I'm having so much fun focusing on my enjoyment on the swing, she would fall to, you know, her death, maybe. Uh, dramatic point, but trapeze artists, the flying trapeze, they must be others focused. And you know what? Marriage is a serious business. And when people get self centered, spouses fall. And we need to embrace this other's focusedness with passion and say, Lord, I don't want to just value them. I want to treat them. I don't want to just see royalty in them. I want to give them the royal treatment. And the impact on a marriage is profound. (laughs) Just uh, this week, my wife said, I love when you preach on marriage. You do better. And I've done better this week, and you can too. Now, I wanted to just make one comment quickly, if you'll allow me, and that is there are some uh, in our church who live in an abusive marriage, and you could misunderstand the heart of God on this matter and say, okay, unconditional love, and I'm just supposed to suck it up and keep taking the abuse, it seems like what you're saying is, and the answer is no. God doesn't want anyone to be abused. You are precious. You are unbelievably precious. And abuse is wrong. And so I would just tell you, if you're in a dangerous, abusive marriage, you need help. And uh, I would encourage you to call our offices. We, We have Compass Care, a whole focus team in our church that is all about helping people in a really bad situation. And uh, God wants you to get help in that situation. Now, some of us may be tempted to say, you know, my, my spouse can treat me with anger and selfishness. They're, let's not be too quick to throw the abusive tag on any and every marriage, all right? We're all married to sinners. And even if our spouse is just a self-centered pig sometimes, God is calling us to embrace this principle See them like Jesus would. I didn't put the second. Treat them like Jesus would. That's the second point, as evidenced by this part of the verse. Lord, I want the mind of Christ. I want to see them like you do, and I want to treat them like you do. And the impact can be powerful. I thought I would try to illustrate by describing my effort to apply these two points in my marriage recently. This happened a week and a half ago on Thursday night. We're having a family meal. And my wife just says, hey, can I mention something? She says, this Saturday, two days, is the Beth Moore Conference in Hoffman Estates. Beth Moore is my wife's favorite preacher. My wife's second favorite preacher. and she said, I, I've known about this for months, but I've forgotten about it, and a friend from church is going. I'd love to join them. She said, it would be all day. I'd be leaving early in the morning and wouldn't come home till the evening on a Saturday. And then she's brilliant. She said, don't answer me. You pray about it, and we'll talk about it later. <laughs> smart woman, smart woman. She knew that my immediate response would be based on what the Bible calls the flesh or my natural sinful humanity. And she knew 
me well enough to know that wouldn't be good. And she thought, the only hope I've got is that Jeff prays about it and the Holy Spirit puts him in a full Nelson and gets him to do something against his natural inclination. Uh, She was right on. My natural fleshly response to this opportunity was not good. I'm going to tell you what it was. I want to clarify, none of this came out of my mouth. This is all internal, all right? Internal. My, my first thoughts were, Saturday. You do know that Saturday is when I preach. I, the, the first of my five times each weekend that I preach is on a Saturday. And I'm preaching to thousands of people. And you want to just go off with your ladies and do a little lady time. You really think, what am I saying? Subtly, I am saying, I am more important than you. I, you are just a participant. I am the speaker at this big event. And some of you are like, Jeff, you're disgusting. And uh, you're right. Others of you are like, Jeff, you got a point, actually. And the more I think about it, you know, she should realize that you are, you know. And here's what I would just say. My wife is every bit as precious in the eyes of Almighty God as I am. She is a princess in the eternal kingdom, created by God, reflecting his image, being sanctified by God's work in her, being made more beautiful all the time. And if I go the whole, I'm a pastor and you're not route, I don't have the mind of Christ. And so I need the mind of Christ, and the mind of Christ is Jeff, boy. This woman is unbelievably precious. The other thought that was going through my mind back then was, you tell me now, two days before the event, you've known about this for months. Had we been planning and you given me some headway, I could have structured my time a little better and been ready for this. You know, my wife is so spontaneous. Again, I loved that before the marriage. I, oh, she's so unpredictable, and that's great. Yeah, not so much now these days. And, and so I was in a bad way. I was, I can't believe she'd suggest this. Yeah. But her plan worked brilliantly as I prayed about it. Lord, what am I supposed to do? You clearly don't agree with this idea, Lord. I know that, you know. And, and I'm going to say it strongly. God spoke to me. I heard God. Not audibly. This recurring theme just echoed in my heart. And I recognized it as the voice of God. You know, three words. You know what I kept hearing? I kept hearing God say, bless my daughter. Bless my daughter. Jeff, bless my daughter. And I think those three words encapsulate the totality of what we've studied. Wouldn't you agree? First of all, I want to see her for who she is. And God is saying, Jeff, she's my daughter. She is so precious to me. Would you bless her? You know, the second part is all about not wanting to be blessed, but wanting being focused on being a blessing. And God was saying, Jeff, just bless my daughter, would you? The Lord reminded me that she had had a rough week and that she needed her soul to be refreshed in this way. And I just, I cried uncle and I said, all right, Lord, I will. So I came to Jen and I said, you know, this Beth Moore thing, I think you should go. I'll take care of the kids. She's like, are you sure? You, you got it covered? I'll figure out a way. As you know, uh, that was when I was at the soccer game with Jake, writing my sermon uh, with the computer, remember? And Jake screamed, Dad, are you watching? You remember that? 
It was a mess, but it actually turned out to be a good sermon illustration, so I'm grateful for the <laughs> Lord working it out. Uh, it was a crazy Saturday, but in the end, it was the right choice. Jen came back from that conference on Saturday night, and man, she was alive. There was a fire of love for Jesus burning in her eyes that was so evident. And she wrapped her arms around me and she said, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I needed that. Every once in a while, I get it right. (laughs) And when I do, I see the wisdom of God borne out. Folks, this is a high calling and it's a hard calling, but it's the right way to live. And it's a way a marriage can be built. And it's a way the backbone of self-centeredness can be broken. To say, give me the mind of Christ. Help me to see my spouse for who they are in your eyes. And help me to treat my spouse the way, Jesus, you would. Remember the old WWJD? It was kind of a couple decades ago, maybe. There was this theme. What would Jesus do? WWJD. We wore bracelets and stuff. It's what we need. The mind of Christ. Jesus, what would you do in this marriage? He'll show us. So, it dawns on me. If we gain some victory in this, you know what we're doing? How about this? We're bringing the kingdom to one. And what I mean by bringing the kingdom to one is the kingdom of God is this this reality, this spiritual realm in which our spouse is so important and so beloved by God, but they live in this world, and this world tells them another message. This world tells them you're a pain, you're, you're, you're a, a burden, you don't matter. And who are they going to believe? You know, your spouse can enter into the kingdom of God through the Bible and meditating on the truth that's here and through prayer, trying to connect with God and his love. You know another way they can enter into that kingdom? Through you! Wouldn't it be incredible if your spouse came to you and said, I believe God loves me in part because of how you treat me. You help me know God loves me. Wow! That's the goal. The goal is to so embody the mind of Christ that the love of Christ flows through us and that they taste the love of God through our human conduit. Isn't that incredible calling God has given to us in marriage? And again, to those of you who aren't married, there's somebody God's wanting to be a conduit of his love, you to be a conduit of his love too as well. So we must all apply this powerful principle in our relationships with others. Shall we pray? God, we just pause and ask in prayer that you'd give us the mind of Jesus. Lord, please. We, we need it. We, we're, our minds are so messed up and so wrong and so bent and so critical. We just can't see the good in them anymore sometimes. Jesus, would you open our eyes to how precious our spouse is to you, that we might see their true value and treat them accordingly. Get us over our self-centeredness and what I want and how do I get happy. 
God, please turn our eyes outward, looking for opportunities to bless our spouse. Lord, let the love you have come to our spouse through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know what we want to do? We want to end with a song I just love. I'm guessing you may love this song too. This concept of the love of God is so challenging to to get our minds around. We want to help our spouse find God's love by loving them. And sometimes just in song, we need to hear words that remind us of God's love in a way that we can step into it, bask in it a little bit. And as we sing this song about his love, I pray you do a little basking in that love. Thank you.